Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the Word of God. If you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter three verses four and following. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, But have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In the Proverbs, the author Solomon tells us to get wisdom, get wisdom. But what is wisdom? We, I think, often think of wisdom as something which helps us pierce to the deeper meaning of something, to see through the veil, to understand something as it really is. The truth about a person, a situation, a problem which might demand our attention. Seeing past the external surface to what underlies it. So the person without wisdom then is understood to be distracted or too lazy to do anything other than take things at face value. For instance, a wise person might, might see a, a charity and pierce through to what that charity actually does. Is this charity actually helpful at what it says it is accomplishing? It might see something on the shelf at a grocery store and say, hey, just because it says it's healthy doesn't mean it actually is. Smart chips might not be that smart. The wise person, however, probes and waits and sees things which normally would escape us because we don't take long enough to notice them. The wise are unflustered, they're steady, they're not deceived by spin or propaganda because they have depth, they are discerning. Such conceptions of wisdom lead to magazines and newspapers constantly lamenting the lack of wisdom in our own day. That the effort and slowness of wisdom is perhaps the reason why it's not currently valued in our civil sphere. We currently find ourselves in a fast-paced, overly opinionated culture where taking one's time, thinking, and slowly speaking are despised. When the only thing worse than taking a side too slowly is choosing not to voice one's opinion at all due to a lack of perception, a different perception of one's vocation, or a lack of expertise. The price we pay is that wisdom gets pushed to the sides of society. The public discourse is anything but a civil discourse. Measured speech is ostracized, and a thorough lack of nuancing increases polarization. For example, social media posts of 140 characters are sure to lack Wisdom, three-minute sound bites on television are far less likely to contain 
wisdom than 300-page books. And necessarily, as our culture moves towards the trivial to the quick, we move away from wisdom, and it is sacrificed on the altar of the trivial. Such an understanding of wisdom, I believe, we can affirm in many ways, and yet there is something lacking to this understanding of wisdom. Something the Bible continually points us to again and again. And that is that wisdom is not something which we possess, but rather wisdom is a gift from God. As Christians, we must say wisdom isn't something that can be acquired by our own ability. It isn't something we acquire through the power of our minds, through careful reading, or through the exercise of self-discipline. But rather, as Christians, we must say that if we seek to become wise, we become fools. That if we seek wisdom in our own resources, we don't just fail to find it, but rather we become deaf to the instruction of God. In short, it is God who gives Christian wisdom. It is God who grants discernment between good and evil. So what is wisdom? Solomon, who instructs us, get wisdom. As we see him here getting wisdom, I think we can come to understand what wisdom is. In the pivotal verse in our passage Verse 9, Solomon says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. And that central description of wisdom and understanding mind is actually a rather strange translation. It might more literally be translated a hearing heart. An understanding mind, a hearing heart. What is wisdom? It is fundamentally based in a human posture of hearing. This is important because in reality, Solomon is not asking for a heart which is capable in itself, but rather a heart which is better attuned to hearing the voice of God in the many difficult situations in which he will find himself as the leader of Israel. In Scripture, this conception of wisdom, this conception of hearing the voice of God in our daily lives and learning how to be a human being truly consecrated to God day after day, situation after situation, This conception of wisdom isn't how we often think of it as some kind of esoteric thing which a philosopher might grasp, but rather the Hebrew Bible continually shows us again and again that wisdom is essentially a skill. It is a skill which is learned like carpentry. It is a skill which is put into practice in day-to-day situations in the in every aspect of life. 
It's not just knowing when to speak, but when not to speak. It's not just knowing pithy proverbs to live your life by. It does contain that, but rather it is practical, skillful living. It is living as a human being as God truly intended you to live. Not merely a matter of age and experience, but rather something implanted in us by God. Of course, we must say the Bible again and again speaks of how the old, those with gray hair adorning their heads, are those whom we ought to seek wisdom from. And yet the Bible again and again, I think, shows us that the old don't necessarily become wise, but rather it is the old who have been attuned their entire lives to the voice of God who become wise. In Genesis, the reason God gives to shorten the lifespan of human beings is that we might not continue to grow in our evilness all the days of our lives. This this conception that we grow wiser as we continue to gain experience, as we continue to grow older, I think shows us fundamentally what is wrong with our human understandings of wisdom. That the Bible challenges something we want to hold to the core of our being, and that is that we naturally grow from our experiences, and as such naturally grow wiser with age and variegated experience. That wisdom isn't simply human maturing And that we cannot make ourselves wise. That if we practice hard enough, often enough, if we work on the right virtues and the right habits, our lives, if we read enough books, we can somehow cultivate this thing the Bible calls wisdom. But to this kind of cultivated wisdom, which is at the end of every self-help book, at the end of many Stoic um, readings presented to us in culture, the Bible seems to give a resounding no. We say this because the very heart of the human work of cultivating wisdom is folly, the Bible says. And even more than that, it is the repetition of the very core of human sin, the refusal to be instructed by God. At the heart of rebellion against God, at the heart of what Adam and Eve did in the garden was the refusal to allow him to tell them the difference between good and evil and to claim that for themselves. If you look again at verse 9, what what Solomon asked for, it, it is particularly interesting. He asks that I may discern between good and evil. That language calls us back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where they reached out and grasped the the fruit from the tree. They were grasping out and taking seemingly the very thing Solomon here is asking for, And yet here God praises it, and in Genesis he calls it a sin. 
Why is that so? It's because as the serpent puts it in the Garden of Eden, what Adam and Eve are reaching out for is to be like God, to make themselves God, to put themselves in positions where they know the difference between good and evil, and it is no longer a gift, but a power. You see, the difference between Solomon and Adam is Adam wants to take and eat and possess this thing which is called wisdom, whereas Solomon is asking for a heart which can hear this thing from God, what is good and evil, over and over Again, he's not seeking to possess it, but rather to be more receptive to what it is. See, for Adam, wisdom would no longer become a matter of prayer because it would become a matter of human judgment. Refuses to be foremost about listening to God and instead foremost about declaring as humans, what is good and what is evil. Us declaring this judgment. And then on this understanding of wisdom, what truly happens is the human being ceases to become a, ceases to be a creature and rather seeks to attain for ourselves what is rightfully our Lord's. That's why God says he will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Because he will destroy every false idol as he subjects all things to himself. What can we learn from Solomon in 1 Kings 3 as he asks God for wisdom? Very simply, I think we can learn that it is God who gives a wise and discerning mind. And wisdom is therefore something which we must pray for continually because it is not something possessed by us, but rather something given to us again and again by our Lord. What we see here in 1 Kings 3 is not that Solomon gains for himself wisdom, but that he is given wisdom in response to his prayer to the Lord And when God gives us a gift as believers, he doesn't just hand it over to us as something we now get to control and use however we'd like, but rather it remains a gift and continues to be given to us. So when we're given wisdom, we don't then own wisdom. We don't then possess wisdom forever, but as if we can, as, as if we can now exercise wisdom without reference to God, but rather the person who is actually wise isn't the owner of wisdom, but is always the recipient of God's gift. Entering afresh into the receiving of this gift of wisdom, who alone is wise. A hearing heart, one which is disposed to seeking God's word in the situation in which we find ourselves. Skillful living because it is living which seeks God. Which seeks God's will. Which seeks God's promise. Which seeks God's kingdom. 
If this wisdom then is a gift from God, if it is God's to give and not ours to own, then what should we do? I think we begin to find the answer in Ephesians 5, as we read earlier, as it instructs us, do not watch carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but rather as wise. And then it begins to tell us what it looks like to walk wisely. It says, don't be foolish, but understand. Hear what the will of the Lord is. And then it tells us to be filled with the Spirit. What does that filling with the Spirit mean? It means to be united to Christ by the Spirit's power. It means to be possessed by Christ and moved by Him. What does being filled with this Spirit look like? It looks like listening to the will of the Lord. And as Paul begins to expound, it looks like gathering for corporate worship, singing with one another songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, encouraging one another with the word, having worship placed at the center of our lives as individuals, and together placing Christ squarely at the heart of our existence. We gather because there are things we desperately need. We need forgiveness because of our many sins, because of the many times we've walked unwisely, We need to gather together because we need to be healed to our continual resistance to divine truth. We need our cold and hardened hearts to be brought to life. Like Solomon, we need help in discernment. And God alone is our help. In Ephesians, Paul generally uses the word wisdom to speak of divine truth. The wise, then, are those who possess this divine truth, which Paul also calls the light of the world. The unwise are those who do not. So wise and unwise are equivalent to those in light and in darkness. Paul, then, is instructing the Ephesian Christians to conduct themselves Not like those in darkness, but rather as those who are enlightened by God. Who are walking in the light. Who are receiving the light from God and are therefore wise. This is vital for us as Christians. This is vital in how we conceive of the Christian life. This is vital in how we conceive of part of what the difference is between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Job asks again and again in the book of Job, where shall we find wisdom? Where is wisdom to be found? Proverbs tells us wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the marketplace. She raises her voice on the top of walls. She cries out, At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. And yet again and again in the Bible, we find people seeking wisdom and not knowing where to look. Again and again in our own lives, I think we we hear this call for wisdom, but we don't know where to find it. 
And yet, again and again in the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament, our Lord and God points us to Christ Jesus, who is wisdom itself incarnate, who is folly to the Greeks, who foolishly took upon himself a crown of thorns, who foolishly was mocked before Roman soldiers, who foolishly was rejected by his own nation, who seemingly in his foolishness died as he claimed to be the Lord and giver of life, and yet in his foolishness made a way for salvation, for the salvation of his people, for your salvation if you would believe in him. In the New Testament, we find wisdom in Christ Jesus. We find a wisdom which cuts against earthly expectation. A wisdom which cuts against the wisdom of the wise. A wisdom which cuts against the wisdom of the learned, against the wisdom of the rich, a wisdom of the successful and squarely identifies itself with the wisdom of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on a tree, who before all seemed to be a failure, and yet in that seeming failure conquered the earth, conquered death, conquered the powers of darkness, and bought for himself a kingdom, and bought for himself you. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God to the people of God. Christ is the wisdom of God who has dwelt among us. As Matthew Henry comments, the treasures of wisdom are not hidden from us, but for us in Jesus Christ. If we want wisdom, we must look to Jesus. What this means is two things. First, wisdom then is not, it is knowing a sense of our own inability to be wise on our own. Wisdom is a sense of our own inability to be wise on our own. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. As John Calvin puts it, the mark of the wise are that they are poor, they are empty, they are void of self-wisdom. They are eager to learn, but they know nothing. Is that your disposition? That you aren't someone who has it all figured out, that you aren't someone who knows everything, who has the Bible mastered, who has God figured out, but rather you are patiently waiting to receive from God ever fresh revelation each day. Often we picture wisdom as someone who is steady, firm, and certain in their judgments, but in Scripture, wisdom isn't assurance 
in ourselves, but rather assurance in the Lord. We become wise when we don't trust how much we know, how much experience we've accumulated, but rather we acknowledge that we know nothing, that we have never been anything other than beginners and students in the schoolroom of God. That we continually need to be taught, that we continually need to receive wisdom from God. As Solomon puts it, I am but a child. I am but a child that ought to be the profession of every believer in Christ. That ought to be the profession of every pastor, every elder, every person who thinks they have theology figured out. I am but a child because it is children to whom Jesus says, welcome. For Solomon, the accumulation of wisdom is pointless. It is an impossibility. We are not naturally ready for wisdom. We are not capable of it, but rather we must seek it in him who is wisdom itself. In other words, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. As Solomon puts it so beautifully in the Proverbs. The fear of God, meaning that there is no way to bridge the gulf between God and us. It means that wisdom cannot begin or conclude with self-mastery, but rather must always proceed with fear and trembling before our Lord and Maker and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy is understanding. This is why, secondly, in our final application, is that the heart of wisdom is prayer. The root disposition of the Christian life is prayer. We are seeking something which we do not contain in ourselves. What it means to be in prayer is it means that we are in dependence upon God and living as such. Solomon prays because he is a creature, a creature in need of grace from God. He prays because he is a sinner in need of forgiveness of God. He he prays because he has a difficulty in discerning right from wrong because it is not his to judge, but his Lord's. If Solomon wants to see truth, if you want to see truth, you must go to God and ask him. What this means is if we don't judge someone to be a, that what we shouldn't judge person, someone to be a wise person based on their critical judgments, on their seriousness, upon their credentials, but we can tell if someone is a wise person by how often they pray, by what they pray for. Do they have a deep sense that they need the Lord, that they need him in all facets of their lives. Right, so often I, I think we as believers are worried that we pray for things we need too often. And often I think that might be true as we first become believers. We pray for possessions. We pray for each and every thing we might want and desire. Lord, give me a Mercedes Benz. And yet... 
as we grow in maturity, what we should not stop doing is praying for all the things we need, but rather we must come to a deeper understanding of what it is we need. We need all things from our Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. We need wisdom from God in each judgment, not just the things we think are difficult to judge. We are but children. Children who need to be taught the difference between blue and green. Children which need to be taught not to touch the stove because it's hot. Children before the Lord who knows all things and is so willing and ready to teach us. We must pray without ceasing, learning experience through prayer. We can go through many experiences and not learn a single thing. Or we can go through many experiences and learn the wrong things. But if every experience is filtered through prayer before our triune God, if every thing we experience is filtered through a praying mind, every experience will be placed under the judgment of God before you and brought to you to correct you and help you to be more like Christ. As James says in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God for it. That he giveth to all men liberally That he holds back nothing, it will be given. So to conclude, what is wisdom? Wisdom is not trusting in yourself. It is trusting in God. It's not mastering life, but rather living your life before God that he might instruct you how to live. It's holding Christ up as the model for your life. It's knowing you can't work your way to salvation, but that Christ has done it for you. That as wisdom is a gift, salvation is a gift. It's knowing that the human life is the life shown to us by God and not how we in our sinfulness think we ought to live. What is wisdom? It is a complete and utter dependence on a Lord who is all-wise, who is all-knowing, and who is all-loving for his creatures who seek him. So let us get wisdom. Let us go to him in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you haven't left us in our foolishness, that you haven't abandoned us, Lord, but rather that you have sent your Son to save us, Lord. Save us from our sin. Save us from our foolishness. Lord, we pray, Lord, you might save us from our foolishness again and again. Lord, that you might give us hearts that we might hear your voice. Lord, that you might give us hearts which kneel before you. That you might give us hearts which seek your face. Or that you might give us minds which are utmostly dedicated to hearing you. Lord, we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.